The teaching for this evening is based on Psalm 128. This is God's word. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. If you are new or or haven't been with us as we've been this fall, making our way through a a section in the book of Psalms, there's 15 of them uh, that are referred to as the Psalms of Ascent, Psalm 120 through 134, and tonight we're looking at Psalm 128. And just to give you a little bit of backdrop as a refresher, these psalms were in all likelihood sung by God's people as they would journey from wherever their home was in Israel to Jerusalem three times a year where they would worship God and celebrate his, his redemption and his provision for them. And these would have been the songs that they sang along their journey. And if you are careful in your reading and you read these time and again, you begin to notice that there's actually an arrangement to them, that there are five groups of three of these in these 15 psalms and each of these three each of the groups shares the same basic um, pattern that the first psalm in each group begins usually in a situation of distress of great need of sheer helplessness and even at times what sounds like utter hopelessness Followed by the second psalm, which usually emphasizes the idea of our need for help and that God is the one who comes to our rescue. And then the last psalm in each of these groups tends to emphasize the arrival, the end of the journey, uh, the homecoming. And when we come to Psalm 128, uh, the same thing is true here, except what I want you to notice in this psalm is that We usually think of a homecoming as a location. We arrive at home where I grew up. And that may be true, and it is true. However, this psalm goes a bit deeper, and it describes a homecoming as something more than just a location. It describes it as as an abiding experience of blessedness. And there are actually three key words in Psalm 128 that we're going to look at tonight, but... The the one word around which the whole psalm revolves is this word, the very first word, blessed. It occurs a number of times in this psalm, and it's a bit difficult to translate. And depending on what English translation you may read most often, you may read a translation that might begin, happy is everyone. Happiness in our English language is, is, gets close to it. It points in the right direction, and therefore, oftentimes, uh, folks will, will translate this idea of blessed as happiness. Let me, let me just try to share with you a few ways that different commentators have tried to uh, flesh out what this term blessed means. One commentator said that blessed equals a well-being in every area of life. 
well-being in every area of life. Another one says that blessed means a happy state of affairs that reaches the heart and into every facet of your life. And last, another commentator says that blessed means that it describes a state or a condition of a person who enjoys a rich relationship with God. So I hope even in just those few ways that different people have tried to describe what does blessed mean, it goes quite a bit further than sort of what we might typically mean as happy. Um, I think for the most part, happy in our culture is a rather, um, it can be very intermittent. It can come and go, kind of like the weather. But when the Bible talks about what it means to be blessed, it's talking about something that's abiding, that goes deeper than any given day, even the really bad days, which is what makes the Bible's idea of blessedness utterly unique. And in, in, a way, in a way to put it is, blessedness is all that adds up to a good life in the deepest, fullest sense. Now, why do we need to pay close attention to Psalm 128? The reason we need to pay close attention to this is because for a lot of people, and I, I would dare say a large number of Christians, the life of faith is often viewed in almost wholly negative terms. That to say that you trust in God, that you are a follower of Jesus, the average person, I think, if you ask them honestly, would understand what you're saying as it means, generally, my life is now going to have a lot of things subtracted from it. Things that I used to do that I can no longer do. Uh, that it's perhaps a life of disappointment. Um, it's a life of settling for less. Uh, it's a life that squelches out the richness and, of life and the joy that it has. And the reason I want us to really pay attention to Psalm 128 is because that couldn't be further from the truth, according to what the Bible says. The Bible says that the life of faith is full of blessedness, of biblical happiness, of deep overflowing joy. And Psalms like this say the same thing. And in fact, Jesus understood it just like the psalmist does here in Psalm 128. Just think for a moment how Jesus, in the early chapters of Matthew's gospel, at the beginning of what is often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, he describes a disciple eight different ways and begins each of those descriptions with the word Blessed is the one. That here, Jesus, as well as the psalmist, they understand that the life of faith, rightly understood, is anything but dull or boring or lifeless or joyless or oppressive. Psalm 128 helps us to see that the life of faith is overflowing with God's rich blessing. And so, I especially want those of us who are perhaps on the younger side, uh, I think most of the kids in here are third grade or, or older, 
you're going to, your own desires, your friends, um, the priorities and agendas of the, of the world in which we live are going to lean against this very hard. And it's very easy to begin to think, you know what, this whole thing about Jesus and following him and the Bible says that to do that is, leads to a life of rich joy that God puts in my heart that nothing in this life can take from me just seems too far out of reach. These passages are here for us to understand what does the life of faith, what's it really like? What's it all about? And it's about God's blessedness, his kindness, his generosity poured out into your life. And so what I want to do this evening is look at this psalm just under two headings. Who are the blessed and who does the blessing? So first, let's look at who are the blessed. Look in verse 1. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Really simply, what we notice here about who are the blessed. The blessed, first of all, is those who fear the Lord. This is actually what I would say is the second key idea in this psalm, the fear of the Lord. And it's worth asking and, and settling over this for just a moment to remind us or perhaps reconsider, what does, it, what does the Bible mean? when it talks about the fear of the Lord. It's all over the scriptures, over a hundred times, especially in a place like the book of Proverbs. It finds itself, especially in the places where we're taught wisdom. What does a life in relationship with God look like? What does it sound like? How is it described? It's a life characterized by the fear of the Lord. And... This is not an abstract idea. To say the fear of the Lord, someone who fears the Lord, is to say that you're in relationship with him. And it's a relationship that is both utterly, um, how to say it, humbling, and at the very same time, life-giving. And I think I may have shared this, this story a few weeks ago to try to convey this idea of, of the fear of the Lord. I was uh, in Southern California as a college student and was body surfing. And as a Midwesterner, didn't really know how to do that. And one time I caught a wave and got pinned underneath the wave and spun around over and over and over and really wasn't sure what was going to happen. And before I knew it, I was kind of spit out on the beach. And as I was reflecting on the, the idea of the fear of the Lord and that experience, what came together for me was I was utterly at the mercy of that wave. I was, I, I was in utter awe of it. It had my absolute attention and respect. There was no way I could escape its power. And at the very same time, and it could have, it could have killed me. It had that kind of power over me. But at the very same time, it was that wave that I was utterly um, at its mercy. Is that very same wave that was bringing me to safety. That was bringing me to the shore. And actually rescued me. That's a picture of the fear of the Lord. 
that the fear of the Lord is when you begin to realize that God is at the very center of your life, that he is the one who keeps your heart beating, that he is the one who has given you every good gift, that there is nothing that you have, there's nothing that you enjoy that doesn't come from him. And he has the power over your life. None of us are promised life beyond today. Not one of us. doesn't matter who you are or where you're from. And yet, he is also the one who promises to give life, to preserve you, to care for you, to watch over you, and to even see you through what we will all experience, which is death. That's the fear of the Lord. Those who fear the Lord are blessed, but then also those who walk in his ways. What is, how does the fear of the Lord make itself known in your life? Again, still in verse 1, those who walk in his ways. That phrase, to walk in his ways, is really shorthand for all that God commands, all that he teaches, all of his instructions. It definitely has in view the way that he has designed life to work and to flourish. One of the reasons that we go through the Ten Commandments as part of our confession of faith is is they help us to see how has God designed things to work? What is true reality? How are we designed to live in his world? What does he long for us to do for ourselves and for each other? One writer puts it like this. He says, if you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. (laughs) Oh, that was pretty good. Those who walk in the ways of the Lord are those who begin to see and trust and recognize there is a design to things, that God is good and wise. And when we deviate from that or we think we know better, things begin to to fracture and to break. You only need to think of perhaps one day and the words that you use or don't use. Do your words build up or do they tend to break down? That's just a normal everyday example of walking in the ways of God. But I also want you to notice that, or think about this phrase of walking his ways, not just in terms of doing the right thing, following God's commandments. To walk in his ways also means what we can't do, how we fall short. And what God has done to bring about forgiveness and to cover us. It includes everything that God has talked about throughout the scriptures to deal with our sin problem. It's why God spends so much time detailing the sacrificial system and the temple and the responsibilities of the priesthood. To walk in his ways also means that you recognize you're not right And God has done something about that. He's made it possible for you to be in relationship with him. That's every bit as much a part of what he means by to walk in his ways. Now, what does this life then of blessedness look like when he says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways? Here we come to what what I, I would see is the third key idea or key word in this psalm. And we see it. In verses 2 to 4. 
especially verses 2 to 3. And it's the word of, or idea of fruit or fruitfulness. Listen, you shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. Verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine. And then later in verse 3, your children will be like olive shoots. Just another variation on the theme of fruitfulness. And what, what is the psalmist trying to convey to us here? He's using this illustration of a man and his wife and his children and describes what does it look like for one who fears the Lord, for God to bless that person. And he uses this illustration of his work, of his marriage, and his family. And it would be easy for us, I think, to read this and to sort of restrict verse 1 to just this illustration, which I think would actually be missing the point. And the reason I say that is because of this word fruit or fruitfulness. Because really what we're seeing here is that God's blessing has inherent in it the power to multiply, to bring increase, to bring more into your life than what you currently have, to pour out his goodness and kindness on you. And God has promised to do that for anyone and everyone who fears him. Not just a man who's married and then has children, but anyone who fears him, which is why I think it starts out, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So what are we to make, though, of this illustration? I think we can see God's blessing and how it multiplies if we drill down for a moment. Think about it this way. That the fear of the Lord, it leads to a joy-filled life. Think about work for a moment. Where does your success come from? Where does your well-being come from? Does it come from how hard you work? Or how industrious you are? Or how creative you are? That's not where it comes from, according to this psalm. It comes from the fear of the Lord and the blessing that he promises to those who are in relationship with him. Success here comes from God's kindness, from his blessing. What about marriage? Think of it like this. The fear of the Lord, those who fear the Lord, enjoy deep rich, intimate relationships? And is it because you're so great and so kind and so nice and so winsome and witty? No. It's because the fear of the Lord changes you into the kind of person who is a blessing to those who are closest to you. Here is a picture of God pouring out his blessing on a husband and a wife and their relationship. That their relationship is of such a quality and such a character that their home is fruitful. There are children around their table. That their relationship overflows in their home. Uh, One of my favorite ways of thinking about this came out of um, 
Tim Keller's book on marriage where he writes, The more joy I get from my relationship with Christ, the more I can share that joy with my wife and family. That's fear of the Lord. But what about the idea here of children? That your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Think of it like this. This is a legacy. That the fear of the Lord is what makes your life worth emulating. How, 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 how much more significant is it for a, for a father and a mother for their children to see from them? What does, a, what does a life look like that fears the Lord, that bubbles over with God's blessing and kindness? It's worth asking the question, what do those closest to you and even the most impressionable see you fearing? What are those closest to you and those who are closest to you who are the most impressionable? Now, this could be at home. This could be at work. This could be friends. What do they see you fearing? Or who do they see you fearing? There's something for you to think about. And I, I need to make one pastoral point here before we move on to from the, who are the blessed to the one who blesses. You might be having the thought, okay, this sounds really great. Um, it maybe even sounds too good to be true. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. But that's just not how my everyday experience goes. There are lots of times when maybe God's blessing doesn't seem very tangible or real or present or visible. And I just want to put in front of you an image from Psalm 1. Psalm 1, it would be called a wisdom psalm. Kind of, it teaches you how life really works in God's world. And this is another one, Psalm 128. But the image from Psalm 1 is this, where it describes, Blessed is the man who delights in the law of the Lord. You could gloss that or, or, or paraphrase that. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord, just like we've been seeing. And then it says this, that that person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Now, if you think about the image here, here is a, a tree that is planted by the water. Its roots go really deep, deeper than the weather outside. And in the season, in its appropriate season, it does bear fruit, but there are also barren seasons. There are seasons when it doesn't bear fruit. But then do you notice it says its leaf never, never withers. It's like an evergreen tree. The point I want you to see here is that the psalmist in Psalm 128 is not saying there are not trials and difficulties and struggles in life at all. The Bible never promises that. But what it does promise is that the fear of the Lord is the path to God's blessing that goes deeper than even those seasons when we feel dry and barren and fruitless. So that's who are the blessed, but what about the one who blesses? Maybe you're asking 
it's always risky to, to, to try to guess what you're thinking. But maybe you're thinking something along these lines as we work through this, this psalm. Okay, I, I hear you saying that fear of the Lord is really important. But I'm not really sure what that means still. Or maybe you're thinking, okay, I think I'm going to understand what it means to fear the Lord and that he blesses those who trust him, who are in relationship with him. But I don't fear him like I should, if I'm honest. So now, now what? What am I supposed to do? And I, I want to just get you to focus here as we, um, the last thing we look at tonight, at the beginning of verse 5. The Lord bless you from Zion. Uh, this is a bit of a, I, I want to make a little bit of a teaching point here that helps us to understand who is this one who blesses. It's pretty obvious, I think, from the psalm that it's the Lord who blesses. But I want you to notice that's easy to miss um, in our English translations that the word that is used, blessed, in verses 1 and 2, it really describes our experience of God's blessing. But then, in verse 4 and verse 5, it's a different term. And it's actually describing God's activity, the one who does the blessing. Now, why is that important to emphasize? Because the blessedness that's talked about, the happiness that's talked about here, it's not a chance thing. It's not a mistake. It's a divine action. It's a divine gift It's all of grace. You might be thinking, perhaps, that certainly sounds like God's blessing really does depend on how good I'm doing at fearing him. But what you have to remember is the whole story arc of the Bible begins with God's movement towards us who don't fear him, who've rebelled against him, that he makes the first move and he promises to bless the nations. He promises to demonstrate his loving kindness irrespective of what you think about him. That he moves towards us. This is describing God's action that the Lord blesses you from Zion. Now, Remember, if you've been around the past few weeks, what is Zion? Zion is another name for Jerusalem. And what have we been learning about Jerusalem? That Jerusalem is where God dwells. That's where heaven and earth overlap. And in the Bible, what we discover is that Jerusalem, the earthly one, also called Zion, is really a heavenly copy It's a copy of God's heavenly city where God really and truly dwells, where his presence remains. And so here when it says that out of Zion God blesses, what we're we're hearing is that the psalmist is telling us that there is a way that this heavenly presence of God has come to earth in this city, Jerusalem, and most specifically in this place called the temple where the Holy of Holies is, 
And what I want you to, to begin to think about is that this temple, this earthly temple, this earthly city is a copy of what's in heaven. So if it's a copy of what's in heaven, how does the real presence of God come to earth? How does God really and truly pour out his blessing on his people? What we discover is that Jesus Christ understands himself to be that temple. That he is that place where heaven and earth really do overlap. But it's not in a city and it's not in a building, it's in a person. The Son of God. So much so that the Apostle Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In 2 Peter chapter 1, we also read, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So here's, here's what I want you to think about. Are you having a hard time? Are you struggling with this idea? Does God really want to bless me? My life is not characterized by overflowing joy. If I'm honest, I don't really know what it means to fear the Lord. Is that, is that how you feel? And if, if you do, what are you supposed to do with that? What, what I want you to see, why I'm emphasizing this last bit about how God blesses from out of Zion, is that what that really means in light of the gospel is that God blesses you out of his Son who came to do for you what you could not do. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, I don't, I don't fear the Lord. I, I'm, I'm afraid of a lot of things. And a lot of things capture my attention. But if I'm honest, it's not really God. Well, here's what I would say to you. Jesus came for people just like that. He knows that about you. And if I could put it this way, he came to fear the Lord for you. He came to live his life perfectly in devotion and loyalty and submission to his Father for you. And he is committed by his Holy Spirit to do the same in you. Right now, today, where you find yourself right now today, with all the cares and concerns all the loneliness, all the unknowns, all the weariness. That's what he has come to do. He has come so that you could know that this God is committed to blessing you. Not because you're great at this. Not because you have strong faith. Not even because everything in your life looks like God is at work. But what I want you to do in reading this psalm and thinking about this, I want you to look to Jesus. I want you to listen to his word. That's how you grow in the fear of the Lord.
Not by looking inward, but by looking outward at him. What he is like. What he came to do for people like you and me. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for psalms like this that put in front of us what is most true and most real about the life of faith. Despite what we think or feel any given day, we ask that these words uh, would work on us, that we would find ourselves fearing you, uh, bowing before you, yielding to you, and at the very same time, rejoicing in your kindness and your blessing and your provision and your care of us. Father, we pray that we would not buy into the the lie that says that the life of faith is, is dull and boring and depressing. But would you please, by your Holy Spirit, put joy in our hearts, as your word says. Please put more joy in our hearts than anything else that we might look to in this life. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.